Hey guys, welcome to your Pastor Reads Books, the podcast where you'll hear pastors from different backgrounds talk about their love of reading and the books that are shaping them, both as followers of Jesus and better givers of spiritual care to others. I'm your host, Heather Weber, and today's guest is my friend, minister, and missionary, Tony Gatewood. Tony gave his life to Jesus at a Wendy's restaurant on the south side of Chicago when he was just a teenager. He was called into ministry in college and over the last 20 years has served as a minister on college campuses in local churches and is now independently consulting with ministries and churches across the nation and is pursuing local outreach efforts in the Iowa corridor. At the time of our interview, Tony was still working with Wycliffe Bible Translators in Orlando, Florida, as the Associate Director of Intercultural Engagement, working with diversity initiatives, training staff on how to deal with cultural biases, and innovating strategies for recruiting staff that come from diverse backgrounds. So you'll hear him talk about this important work today. This episode, though, is inspired by Deborah Keen Lloyd's book, Your Vocational Credo. We talk about knowing our vocational purpose and how it's connected to our stories. Tony's gifted in helping people look more deeply at this, so I hope our conversation inspires you to do some self-reflection as well. Without further ado, here's Tony. Hey, Tony, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you here. It's good to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah, I'm really, really pumped about this. And it's ironic. Uh, most people don't know our friendship and our relationship, but um, you came on staff at City Church with me during the pandemic. That's right. And, yeah, and became an associate pastor during this time when we had to do Zoom church. You called we, me your pandemic pastor. So. That's right. You were my <laughs> pandemic pastor and together... We had to figure out what it, what it meant to like hold a community of people together mm-hmm. who were separated by the virus. We weren't allowed to meet in person for it was it was sixty some weeks because yeah. of the the codes um, in our meeting place in our city. Um, but you are now on to another vocational context. You are working within the organization of Wycliffe Bible Translators. Yes. And most people who work for Wycliffe, or when you think about missionaries who work for Wycliffe, you think about people out in the field, like working with different people groups who don't have a Bible in their language, but you're a missionary who works within the organization. So can you just talk a little bit about what that looks like, what that means? Yeah, that's that's right. So um, when I... When I decided to accept the assignment with Wycliffe Bible Translators, uh, one of the things that they really communicated to me that was exciting to me was that we would like you to be a change agent uh, for our organization. Uh, At this time, uh, Wycliffe had adopted an initiative uh, called Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging. And they wanted to see how they can help their organization become a place where um, everybody... uh, you know, different people groups were seen, heard, and uh, valued. Uh, traditionally, or, uh, Wycliffe has been an 80-year-old organization, and it hasn't had a lot of uh, diversity. So I was brought in to uh, work within their uh, cultural engagement uh, department with their diversity and lead out their diversity initiative. So uh, I spent a lot of my time uh, uh, both uh, developing resources uh, that fit both uh, within the context of studying uh, diversity, but also uh, spiritual content as well, and uh, helping 
the organization see in deeper ways how the Bible really aligns with uh, what it means to be a, uh, I like to call it a united and unique organization uh, that we, we have unity and we have uniqueness as well. So I do a lot of uh, training up there, and then I do a lot of different special projects, uh, things that help innovate uh, new ways of helping to onboard uh, ethnically diverse churches, but also ethnically uh, diverse uh, missionaries and mm-hmm. finding new pathways and methodologies for uh, for fundraising in order to see mm-hmm. uh, both groups engage more in the Bible translation movement. Hmm. So you, in some ways, it's like you've got you have this very unique uh, commission in front of you, mm-hmm. but you're also pastoring people through these processes and yes. pastoring an organization in some ways. Yes. And it, everything comes with that. Everything comes with that. Uh, not everybody is uh, always excited about change. We know this uh, in uh, pastoral ministry, not everybody's mm-hmm. always excited about that. So it takes a lot of how do you get uh kind of a critical mass of people kind mm-hmm. of to start moving in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the midst of that, you start hearing a lot of stories of, of, of challenges, uh, of loss of dignity, even mm-hmm. uh, that you're trying to help people both stay encouraged and uh, stay focused on the mission at hand. Uh, and, and, and a lot of that, unfortunately, you know, uh, as, as pastors, we take a lot of that load on ourselves. So, uh, I have to do just as much um, in my work to kind of uh, unload things off mm-hmm. myself so that I can actually continue in the task uh, of continuing to do it. And that's working all the way up from the executive leadership team down to hearing the story of a custodial staff and, mm-hmm. and what their experience is in our organization. Yeah. So you're saying you just have to like tend to your own soul in the midst of how hard it can be sometimes to work in this area. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, um, it's, it, it's enough to understand that the topic of diversity is a very controversial subject, uh, within our, within the U S in the first place. Um, then try to engage that topic in a way that feels authentic, uh, that takes in, uh, the most current learning we have on that, but also to try to align that and help people see that within scripture um, as well. And there's a lot of really uh, uh, brought in uh, beliefs that people have. So uh, all the, and, and, and on top of that, our organization, our average age is between 55 and 70. And mm. so there are people who've been long time a Christian, have thought about things in a certain way for a long time. So introducing uh, change can uh, can be a a, a task. Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And even the book that you're going to talk about is about vocation, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But I know that like your task, even at Wycliffe, intersects with some of the ideas in this book. Um, but before we get there, tell me about how you became a reader, because I know you are one. So I like reading, right? It's kind of crazy because. You know, I would read um, for practical purposes, even as a kid, like the book's got to do something for me. Like when I mm-hmm. read, you know, it should teach me how to do something. I should become better because of it. So I, a lot of times I uh, would read different books or whatever for, uh, for practical reasons. I always want to learn. I want to get better at something. But 
then fantasy novels got introduced later <laughs> into my life. Like, so kids were growing up watching, you know, reading Chronicles of Narnia uh, and, and and different books like that. I didn't actually get get to expose, expose those books mm. until college, actually. And it was my first... Um, it was my first year of college, and some, you know, the I remember the movie Lord of the Rings was coming out, and uh, this is like two thousand, and they and I was like, oh, that's interesting. They were like, have you ever read the books? I was like, oh no, I've never read the books. And they showed me the first book, Fellowship of the Ring, and it's like, you know, that book is like four or five hundred pages. Yeah. Right? And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to read this book, right? <laughs> but they're describing it. There's spiders and journey. I'm like, well, I always enjoyed those type of stories. So I get this book. I, honestly, I was on a mission trip. Hmm. And I was actually on a mission trip at the time. And my friend, Eric, he actually had all three of the books. And he was like, oh, man, you should check these out. And I remember picking up the book. And I didn't stop reading it until the middle of the night. I had finished mm-hmm. the whole book. I started in the afternoon. And I finished the whole book before wow. before the next day. And so I'm sitting here and I'm like, I was, I mean, I was caught. I was caught by the fantasy of it. I was caught by all the images and metaphors and stuff. And, and then I read the next book and finished that before then the next day was over. And then I read all three of them within like a a 72 hour period. And was this all on the mission trip or when you got back? (laughs) It was like when we would do some missions work and we would come back, we were staying in a uh, kind of a, a kind of a motel kind of place, right? Uh-huh. We were right down the street from working at uh, this uh, Chinese church and uh, Latino community, and so it was kind of our like in between dinner and then afterwards, people just kind of chill and hang out. I just read the whole time. I don't think I've ever <laughs> been that voracious of a reader until that mm-hmm. point, and so then I started to look for you know other literature. I, I like art. I like uh, music. I, I play the guitar. Uh, I like uh, things that are written poetically. I like being captured, my imagination being captured. And so I just started finding more and more things. Then I got introduced to C.S. Lewis, right? Mm. And so then I'm like everything that I could read of C.S. Lewis. And I love that it had both uh, imagery and meaning uh, brought Mm. together. And and that kind of really uh, spurred me. And then I just started like, collecting books and I have a Kindle with like over a hundred books on it and, and audio books and stuff like that. And so it just, uh, it became a, uh, a way that I can outlet, but also be poured into as well. Yeah. And, and I know just from being in ministry with you that like you often would like your ministry would just be informed by some books you were reading about ministry too. Like, um, and yet the books you were drawn to often had an intrinsic beauty of their own, even if they were helping mm-hmm. you in ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I, I do know this about you. In fact, one of my, what a story that comes to mind is the day you were listening to John Mark Comer's Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Yeah. And you just put it on and walked to my house, which was like, was mm-hmm. that like, Five miles about seven. away. It was seven. about six or seven. Yeah, six, six or seven, or seven miles. miles away. And you showed up. You're like, hey, just just listen to the ruthless elimination of hurry. So I walked over. Um, yeah, it was great. And then you started a men's group, you know, and you guys talked about this book uh, on Saturdays. So tell me, Tony, about the book that you want to talk about today. 
Yeah. So this book is uh, called uh, Your Vocational Credo. Um, this may sound weird and biased. Like, I, I don't know how many, uh, maybe this is a shout out and a word uh, to men. Uh, mm. Read more books by women. Oh, nice. <laughs> like uh, any pastors and stuff, I challenge you to uh, read more books by women. You will be blown away at the scholarship uh, that's found in there. And some of the most practical books I've read in my life have been written by women. And that that isn't to bloviate or to make anything. I just know that, like, sometimes, especially in my work with cross-cultural work mm. and intercultural engagement, we, we in order to grow and expand beyond what we understand about ourselves, we have to step outside of uh, all of the, the, the archetype of who we are mm. uh, to a different one in order to see ourselves in new ways. And so... Uh, that's something that's been important to mm. me. And so my vocational credo is written by uh, Deborah Keen Lloyd. And I honestly believe this book was written for like old, middle-aged, older white women. Mm, <laughs> and okay. and I, I get to meet her in person and actually ask her questions. And that was the person she was looking at. And I was like, but you, this, you, you got me now. <laughs> I was like, this is you, you, I'm now a black man from the South side of Chicago has to be in your image of who you were talking to because uh-huh. this, it spoke to me so deeply. Mm. Uh, it spoke to me so deeply because it, it created a paradigm of looking at uh, creating something. People always come up with vision statements and mission statements uh, for their life. But this kind of, statement that was create this credo uh a way of living a way of life that can evolve as you uh continue to move into takes in uh different aspects of who you are to kind of shape this and she shared lots of different stories about uh the different aspects of 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 it so like uh the basis of it is right like is that like you have you look at first like what was your first and deepest pain that Mm. you've gone through right uh, and, 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 and so you kind of look at that and see where that, what that shape, how that shapes you, uh, what are some quotes, you know, that, uh, inspire you, uh, and, and, and then kind of like some books and stuff, uh, that, that comes into that. Then you look at other aspects of like, what do you love? You know, like the book, the credo doesn't answer the what, the credo, uh, answers why, why are you here? Mm-hmm. Um, why, what is your purpose? And so that sounds very uh, uh, purpose-driven life. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's some influences from there on here, but I think much simpler. Uh, uh, that series is about, right, a 30 to 90 days of discovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas this one looks at some really impactful things and how those things continue to influence. And so you create a statement that starts with something like, you know, God put me on this earth to, or, you know, I was put on this earth to, and then you fill in the set, mm-hmm. the different segments of that based off of what you've experienced in life and these different aspects of that may define a why. And so I've looked at this, I've probably used this book um, probably for the last 10, 11 years. And every time I come back to it, my credo is the same, but a little different, shifted a little bit, but there's some things that just become wrought in to who you are Mm. and so that's 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 the main basis of what this book uh helps to do again very practical but also meaningful yeah so what i'm hearing is you're not coming up with a job description when you read this book it's more like 
a more essential part of who you are and your purpose in this world. Right. Yeah. So, t- so how has that formed you as a man in ministry, as a follower of Jesus to be able to write out your vocational credo? Yeah. You know, it took mm-hmm. some courage to kind of maybe sit with your deepest or first pain. Uh, that was one of the first places to start at. And I was, I was in my 30s when I first started to uh, look at this, but it, 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 one of my deepest and first pains is growing up in poverty in Chicago. Hmm. Uh, and, and so growing up as a kid that had a, uh, a lack of resources, my present circumstances were so, uh, at some point, dire, you know, homelessness or uh, not enough resources for a food or hmm. uh, you know, really run down, uh, raggedy clothing, having to, uh, you know, get a lot of donations and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, growing up on, um, on welfare, uh, what that did to me, right, was made me think about a future that was better, mm-hmm. uh, than the current one I lived in. And, and, and that also tied into, uh, coming to know Jesus, um, mm-hmm. as, as a teenager and that, inspiration of hope that came from God uh, made me believe that like poverty does not have to be the final sentence of my life. Mm. And so I began to focus on uh, the future and that influences uh, what I, what I feel uh, called to do in terms of uh, creating a better future and helping others to do so. Mm. Uh, So, so that first part, looking at the, the deep pain of your life and being honest with yourself about it, uh, can be very, uh, can be very daunting. Um, but there's other things like books that, like I told you, Lord of the Rings and and different things like heroic fantasy is I'm a sucker for it. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, you think about Lord of the Rings and you got this guy Frodo from this humble beginning, small, Mm. uh, you know, not thought about, uh, area. And then like, you're sitting there trying to, uh, you're sitting there coming from this uh, this place uh, to to do a insurmountable task, dealing with uh, maybe some of the most difficult mm-hmm. uh, places to traverse in order to accomplish uh, this 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 major task, and that caught my heart. And so mm-hmm. I know I'm the type of person where I realize I like solving really big and hard problems. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I like finding creative solutions to challenging situations. Um, but as I look at that and I see kind of like the story of, uh, Gandalf investing into mm-hmm. Frodo and I was like, oh man, I, I'm always wanting a Gandalf in my life. I love mm. mentorship and I love investing in people. Um, I love seeing a plan come together, you know, and, um, I like developing people you just don't think can be developed. I love mm-hmm. finding diamonds in a rough and Frodo was a diamond in the rough. Mm-hmm. And this book, when I read it, I was like, yes, this is really helping me mm. uh, see, see God, you know, um, mm. another piece of this whole, uh, I guess, triad is like quotes and stuff. And scripture is a really important aspect of, for, for me. And as I looked at like uh, Hebrews 12, you know, I, I laugh at this, verse a lot sometimes because I heard somebody making it to a song but <laughs> I can't quote it right like Hebrews 12 mm-hmm. therefore since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us let us also lay aside every sin 
uh, that so easily entangle us and, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and protector of our faith. Now, I can go further than that, but the other scripture verse that's been with me since a kid is, the, you know, everybody's quoted this a lot, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own, uh, like, lean not unto your own wisdom, but, you know, acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your path straight. I am driven by seeing crooked paths become straight, um, that I acknowledge the wisdom of God in my life. And, and so that, that motivates me. And so whatever tools God has given me to help, uh, basically turn up authentic faith, help discover that in people, uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's the thing that, that I, that I, I filled the why, like it's me. It's so it's, it's me when I think about that, but I can't, forget about the future. I want to see, I love the fact that I remember as a kid, right. Talk about reading. I would read the book of revelation every day. That was my first book after I came to know Jesus, because I wanted to know how it ended. I was like, do we win or not? Like, if I'm going to be a part of Christianity, I wouldn't know if this is a winning situation. And again, revelation, if not anything, people think of it as scary. I think of it as heroic fantasy, right? Like, and time, every time I read this, I became more convinced that the Lord will win. The kingdom of God will win. And so that I get to uh, participate in that makes me believe that, like, I can do greater things. And Jesus said that you can do greater things than I've done. And I believe that. And I believe that he can. He was talking to future leaders of his of his church. And I want to see that happen. And so uh, I, I'm really invested in um current leaders, emerging leaders, new leaders. And I want them to see, I want to see them do, uh, I want to see them achieve the impossible. And so I'm, 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 it's, it's an addiction. It's an addiction to see a, a new leader come into them, come into their own. I believe that. And I, I saw you during the pandemic, take a group of people who didn't all live near each other, but we were in an online church and help them believe for the impossible of having some kind of connected community, even though we couldn't be together. Mm-hmm. And like you just really allowed people to think outside the box. You helped us dream. What could this look like, you know, um, mm-hmm. when we can't gather in person and, you know, the the ideas you had and the things you encouraged in people were things not everybody would dream up, you know, and just the the door drop offs that you would do or, mm-hmm. you know, the sending, you know, sending Grubhub to a teenager or whatever. And um, it just really created this sense of community. And um, yeah, so you're I, I love how you connect fantasy um, and fantasy literature to the explanation for your why, because. Mm-hmm. The, the fantasy literature, like Lord of the Rings, it, it gives some images for believing in a better future, right? And believing mm-hmm. that the underdog can actually, um, you know, do something great or helps achieve something great, right, mm-hmm. in the future. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's revelation too. Jesus wins. Jesus mm-hmm. wins at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So was there more to that? That there's a three prongs, right? There's the sitting with your pain. Yeah. There's the different quotes 
And then and was there one more piece? Well, there's the books, right? Oh, so that's the where books. the Lord okay. of the Rings books come in. Okay. I mean, I've read different things like, um, you know, Hind's Feet and High Places and that whole allegory, much afraid, learning to develop the legs to bound upon mm. the high mountains and stuff. And mm-hmm. those different type of, uh, of frameworks uh, uh, can really influence. Like, it, it's what's, what's um, what I enjoy about it is that, like, uh, uh, books like these, they have a way of painting evil in the world. And uh, they create a world, the world creating, where they point out the big bad, the big evil. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that feels insurmountable. Uh, but there's something cathartic about understanding from a fantasy's perspective that the world is evil that helps come to grips with evil in your own world. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up in a place that was really violent at its time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, I saw a person, you know, killed before my eyes from mm-hmm. my window of gang members mm-hmm. just beating him to death. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a kid, you're sitting here like, what was I, 11? And, you know, I'm like, what did I just witness? And why is this happening? Yeah. Um, I was a kid that grew up and didn't have, uh, I didn't, I, I wasn't, I didn't have faith. I didn't have hope. You know, I thought death was the only end uh, to things and there was nothing more than to just Mm. die. Mm. Um, And I thought that as a kid, I would die by the age of 19. My worldview was fixated on the limitations of living in Chicago, Mm -hmm. living in a violent circumstance. It wasn't until Jesus came into my life Mm. that actually opened up the world of that's more beyond and unfortunately, and, 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 and fortunately, books that thought about a world beyond just a local circumstance mm-hmm. uh, that acknowledge the uh, the influence of evil in the world, but that there was a plan to overcome evil. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that makes sense. I see evil. I mm-hmm. know that there's evil around me. And I want a plan. Mm-hmm. I want a plan big enough to end this evil. You know, mm-hmm. and how can, well, I was, didn't have the courage yet until I said yes to Jesus. I never had asked, how can I be a part of a, a plan mm-hmm. to uh, lower evil in the world? I think one of the things that has motivated me so much has been um, that like, like the future is built on those who are influencing it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the more new leaders, the more hope, that's built within new pe- new leaders mm. and new influencers, uh, the outcome of the world changes a bit, mm. you know, because they're the ones who are going to be influencing it. So I don't know if this is a good time, but my vocational credo. Yeah, I was just going to uh, ask you about yours. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So my vocational credo says this. It says, God put me on this earth to teach, preach, coach, and train. I like to call it TPCT, right? To teach, <laughs> preach, coach, and train to train up authentic faith in the in in like the next generation current and emerging leaders so that they accomplish greater things for the kingdom of god mm. so this is not from the book this is not uh the author's words this is your vocational credo as exactly. you wrote it yeah the book okay. helps you through stories and experiences mm. of people who have gone through shaping their and it and it and now, now that is that's based off of the things that have influenced my life mm-hmm. that creates this statement. She shared a story about a, uh, 
a per, a woman who had the ability uh, to play the violin and just falls in love with the violin, but was in church asked to work and work with uh, children mm. uh, in the children's space. Mm. And every time she works in the children's space, is she was just dying. Like you could see the life <laughs> leave in her eyes each Aww. time, but unfortunately, you know, for 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 this church, they just had a presupposition that hey, women should be working with kids, right? Mm-hmm. And so she was wanting to be obedient and committed to the church. Mm-hmm. And and Deborah uh, King Lloyd uh, sat with her, and they were just talking. And so she just said, "What do you love?" She asked that question, "What do you love?" And she was like, "Well, I love the the the." The, I think it was a cello and she got to see her play the cello and you would have thought she went into the matrix. Like she just mm. like, it was like who she was and what the cello was, was merged. And, and, and Deborah was like, you got to do this. This mm. is what you love. And, you know, she thought about the impracticality of things and the church is part of, um, but at, after her encourage, a lot of her encouragement, she actually like, you know what? I think you're right. And she started to invest in this space and was eventually mm-hmm. able to be in a worship space where she was actually using her cello for the for the Lord and playing at a worship team. And it was fantastic. She could, it was like a 180 for her. Um, so a lot of times it's not whether the task is big or the task is small. It's finding out the things that influence us now that I believe that lady, she might've been forced by her parents to like play the cello. <laughs> and it's just, you know, they're like, I hate the cello, you know, but sure began to love and fall in, in love with it and fell in love with music. I think the, I think the lady also loved dance and stuff as well. So it was all about um, using your body for, for music and for dance that she really was her why mm. and was able to find uh, a resonance with stepping into something that fit, fit that. I think a vocational credo gives you the courage uh, mm. to be who you are. You know, I think a vocational mm. credo just want to say that uh, gives you the courage to be who you are because you've written it down and you can't unsee what you wrote down. Yeah. You know, and it, and it, and if it's resonating so deeply in your heart, it's hard to ignore that because the question from that is, so what do I do? What, what will I do with what I've just written down? Mm. And it takes some time for people, but even for myself, you know, I'm continuing to search. How can I be best? Can I put myself best in, the vocation that fits for me and mm. it, or, or as close as I can to that, you know? So. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, this is what you said about your vocational, your personal vocational credo is that it includes training up authentic faith in leaders so that they can accomplish greater things for the kingdom of God. But I would imagine that also means those leaders need to know their why right? They need to know their vocational credo. Exactly. So, so how do you pass this on as you're training up leaders at, even in, even if you want to be as specific as your context at Wycliffe, mm-hmm. how do you pass on the idea of a vocational credo to, to those who are leading and maybe haven't thought about it in the yeah. way that you are? Yeah. So part of my credo is looking for new and emerging leaders. So I have, I start by being curious. I look for odd, faith oddities, you know, um, the person who's willing to sing a little louder than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times I uh, find myself engaged with youth and teenagers. <laughs> you know, I'm constantly like finding, you know, like 
something about them. One, youth are more, obviously, they're open to seeing things and they haven't discovered things. So that emerging aspect is very strong in uh, younger people. But I, I look for that. And then I, I love to start by hearing their story mm. and affirming their story. You know, a lot of times I, I, I love I love discovering new things. And hmm. I love I love it when they discover, too. I love it when they discover in our conversations. It's great, you know, and I'll be sitting there and like even in my context, I uh, I, I find myself hearing a lot of stories of different people. Mm. And I remember uh, talking, I mentioned earlier, custodial staff, this man, his name uh, was Goyo. Uh, and he had been working for the organization for 17 years. And, you know, like paid staff, custodial staff, he started working for the organization because his daughter had a dream that his fa- that her father uh, would work there. And huh. she told him, she said, Dad, I dreamed that you were working at this place, that you were huh. serving God in mission in this way. Mm. Right. And it, he felt like that was his why. So mm-hmm. he applied to the organization. He's like 60, 70 years old. And he's just serving in his organization. Now, not many people would think that a person working in just custodial staff would have a faith call, a mm-hmm. vocation, a vocational need to fu- need to be fulfilled. You're getting mm-hmm. paid. You're not raising funds as a missionary. But I remember he's a, a Hispanic man. And we have Hispanic heritage. And I got to share his faith story. Mm. And I got to, and he was, he and uh, amongst the other custodial staff were like people of honor for me mm. in the organization. They had their own space. They got the date. They got the time off to be a part of, mm. a part of this. They weren't wearing their custodial clothes. They got to dress mm. up. I remember seeing different people. They're like, oh, I got to dress up. And I'm mm. talking with them with Google Translate on my phone because mm. my Spanish isn't best. Uh, and many, many of them speak Spanish. And I got to tell Goyo's story. This mm-hmm. man who has worked here, he's an el- a more respected elderly man, and that they all honor. Mm-hmm. And and that's that. Those are those moments. Like, this is mm-hmm. authentic faith. He he trusted that the Lord had used his daughter in a unique way to speak. In a, and that's funny, right? He's 60 and he's an emerging leader. He's an yeah. emerging <laughs> witness uh, of, of faith and, mm-hmm. and uh, of doing greater things, even if that means that, like, keeping this place and uh, organized and, and, uh, and tidy. Uh, mm-hmm. I love those moments. Mm. Um, I think another thing that I do is that I like speaking faith to those who feel faithless. Mm. So if I can tell that there is a doubt about God or it's impossible, somebody says that it's impossible to make this happen. This can't, can't happen. Uh, it's, it turns something in me, uh, like that kid, you know, mm. my 11 year old Tony self in mm. Chicago, um, mm. seeing something horrible and saying the same thing. Like I, I empathize with that feeling mm. very deeply, but mm. then that kid who became to know, came to know Jesus and saw that, uh, through Christ, all things are possible mm. that gets stirred up. In me. And I was just like, you know, whether by declaration or propheticness and communication, I'll say, that's not true. I've seen, I've seen real evil, and mm. I know that God can overcome. Mm. And let me, let me, so I'll walk with you step by step through it. And that's the next part of it. Mm. That's where uh, coaching and training 
right? So teaching and preaching, speaking faith, and then coaching and training up faith, which means that you have to take risks. Mm -hmm. I remember working with a young group of of college students to put on a a multi-ethnic student conference in the Midwest. We're talking Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, Uh Missouri. (laughs) And nobody thought that it could happen. And they're like, they're, they're, I remember people telling me there aren't black people in Iowa. There aren't black, mm-hmm. you know, Latino, you know, all those different things. And it, it, for some reason I get, I don't know if, how God has made me, it makes me so, I feel so mischievous, like mischievous about it. I'm like, oh, they really don't believe it. So if we do it, I mean, that just says more that God can do anything. Right. And so you find the right people who are just as crazy. I admit, <laughs> I admit it. You know, my, my credo is a very crazy one. And I find crazy people. I was like, do you want to see something that hasn't been done before? Hmm. And I've, I've run to a few people who are in that place. Do you want to? Wow. And, and so with enough like resourcing, belief in them, taking risks to try things that we haven't tr- tried before, we wind up doing a conference that not only uh, did that, but was one of the largest con- conferences for that student ministry uh, in the mm-hmm. country. And I had people fly in who were looking at this conference. They're like, I would have never guessed something like this could happen Mm. in Kansas. And I was (laughs) like, that's right. That's right. In Kansas. I I was like, I was like, say it again. Because I need you to say it when Jesus comes back too. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. want you to say it when Jesus comes back. (laughs) We never thought that it was possible. And Jesus, I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. I know, you know? And so (laughs) I want that. If if anything, I want my grace on it before Jesus. It's like, well done. You kept it crazy, Tony, for me. I was mm. like, you got that right, you know? So yeah. uh, he really, uh, really opened, took the top off of the lid of my life mm. that was so, felt predestined for death. And yes. everything feels like a bonus. And so I, I feel like I'm living in uh, the proliferation of faith mm. because God opened that up for me. And yeah. so I, I feel like I got to share that. Um, there, I, yeah. I got to share that in others. And there's something about your story because you have been at that lowest place of identifying Mm -hmm. with death that -hmm. gives you such credibility Mm -hmm. when you say to people, that's not true. Mm -hmm. I've seen real evil and you're going to walk through it and I'm going to walk with you. There's Mm -hmm. a credibility that comes from someone who's seen death, right? And is alive, right? And alive in their faith. So Tony, I'm just, I'm thinking about the people who are listening, which could be leaders, uh, lay people in the church, mm-hmm. um, any final thoughts or words to them of encouragement on this topic? Yeah. You know, it's never too late to shape your credo. It's mm-hmm. never too late to think about location, not just your job, but the why, the why of who you are. You know, mm. and I would I would say to you that like, yeah, all things honestly truly are possible with God. And like you just said, I've seen some evil things in this world. And and that's not to say that like we don't struggle. I, I wanna again, I wanna testify again. I I I have to manage depression. I I wasn't you know, uh, unscathed <laughs> by <laughs> right. the experience I went through. I had to talk right. to counselors and work through <laughs> things. And you can't watch things like that as a child and <laughs> be affected, you know? Right. Uh, right. So I, I, I acknowledge the need for personal, mental, spiritual health. Uh, as we manage those things, you can be assured that like, you're not, uh, you're not refuse. You're mm-hmm. not, 
you're you're not um you're not at at so low that you can't come back up. Mm. And I would say to leaders, to lay people, to, to pastors, um, if 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 you're struggling with believing that God is good, uh, then talk to people, talk to people who've been through the worst and see and and, and are still following God. Mm. I got to talk to my 98-year-old grandmother before she passed away in uh, western Mississippi. Mm. And she saw Jim Crow and she saw uh, police brutality and her grand her grandparents were sharecroppers. Mm. And I remember my my mentor at that time was with me, a white woman, and she made spaghetti for dinner while we we're there. And you should have saw her face. She's like, who would have thought it? I'm being served spaghetti by a white woman. And I was like, <laughs> I said, I said, Grandma, why do you still? Because she still goes to church and believes in God. I'm like, mm. why do you still follow? Why do you still trust God after everything you've seen? She was like, because I know he's good. And he's mm. always come through. And this is talking about the worst, right? Wow. Wars, Vietnam, mm-hmm. World War II. Uh, she saw all of those different things. And she wow. still could attest to the goodness of God, despite that. And she, I promise you, she lived in a shack with 20 cats. My great grandmother was a cat lady. Wow. Like, I, I wouldn't say her life was like, right, uh, wealth or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I grew, I come from cyclical po- poverty, generational poverty. Mm. Uh, but I also come from a long line of faith in the midst mm. of that. And so I believe that I am just passing the inheritance. So I would encourage everybody. What you have is inheritance enough to pass to somebody else. Don't mm-hmm. doubt the amount of faith you have. Know that whatever you have is 100% of what you can give to others. And you'd be mm-hmm. surprised at how much it can multiply when it's put into new and good soil. Wow, Tony. That's a mic drop moment. And I sort of just want to weep at your testimony and the goodness of God. Um, thank you so much for being on the show today. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I hope uh, I hope con- this show continues to blossom. Um, I, I love it, and you know you're my sister. So uh, look forward to our time to uh, fellowship again. Thanks so much for tuning into my conversation with Pastor Tony Gatewood. You can follow Tony on the socials. Links to those and other resources we mentioned are included in the show notes. Also, if you like what you hear on this podcast and you want to support it in spirit or with your bank account, you can subscribe to it at yprb.substack.com or give it a rating on your favorite podcast listening platform. Every rating helps get the word out. Once again, I'm your host, Heather Weber. For more information about me and my ministry, head on over to my website at heatherweber.org. That's Weber with one B. Thanks for listening, and I hope you get time to read a great book today.